Well, good morning to everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the well here at STSA. For those who are joining us here in person, here in Arlington, or those who are in Leesburg who are watching us as well, or wherever it is that you're watching from here, we are so glad that you are here today. And I know I always say we're glad that you're here, but man, oh man, it feels good to be here, does it not? It feels good to be here. And I didn't realize, I thought, I've always been saying it's been about a year since we've gathered together, but after watching that video, 455 days, oh my goodness. So in addition to, before we kind of start right here, in addition to all the stuff that we missed over this past year, okay, we saw the hugs and the people serving and the music and all that stuff, I have a little problem as we begin today's message, okay? And the problem is that because I haven't preached up here for so long, I have a three-hour sermon. <laughs> and I'm not joking. <laughs> I got about three hours worth of stuff to share right here because it's been a long time and some people are getting really scared and trying to grab for their purse and just stick with me right here. I got a lot of stuff to share, stuff that's been on my heart for a while and when you kind of keep a preacher down for a long time, they come back and there's a lot of stuff that wants to come out. So I got about three hours worth of stuff prepared here, but the problem is, is that they only give me 40 minutes, okay? Which I know, it sounds ridiculous, like 40 minutes. That's all I get up here. Okay, and if I go more than 40 minutes, the back and there starts lighting things up and making angry faces and there's like pictures that they show me of kids in Sunday school like anarchy and like overthrowing the teachers. So I got only 40 minutes. <clears throat> so because of that, let's make a deal. And here's the deal I want to make with everyone. Whether, like I said, you're sitting here, you're watching online, at home, in Leesburg, wherever it is that you're watching. I'm asking you, I'm going to take my three-hour sermon and I'm going to divide it into four parts. So I'm gonna to start today, but I'm not gonna to finish today. And I need you to stick with me till the end of the conversation. Cause I'm gonna say some stuff that you might disagree with, some stuff that you might feel like, uh, I'm tempted to discredit. But all I'm asking is, let me finish. Okay, let me get to the end, and then, then discredit me, and then disagree with me, but let me get to the end. But it's gonna take me four weeks to get to the end. So all I'm asking is, today, I wanna to start a conversation, and I really hope that, like I said, whether you're here in Arlington or you're there in Leesburg, that you are, that you'd stick with me and join us next week and weeks after that. Oh, is my microphone? Yeah, I'll get a, sorry, sir. Get a handheld mic. Sorry. sorry. <clears throat> and I hope that you will not only consider coming back. Is that better? Is that better? Okay. I hope you consider coming back, but that you'd also consider potentially inviting a friend. Okay, especially as we get into the material here for today and you hear what I'm talking about. I think that when you start what it is that I'm sharing, you'll discover that everyone knows someone who needs to hear what we're gonna talk about, okay? Yeah, I think I'll take that one, just to be on the safe side, okay? This one is. Thank you, Dina. Okay, so with that said, let's jump into our topic here today because I only got 38 minutes to go, so let's jump right in. I read an article recently that disturbed me but did not surprise me. An article that was talking about the future of the church in America and it painted a very bleak picture. The headline of the article was, U.S. church membership falls below majority for first time. U.S. church membership drops below majority for first time. And this is the picture that they showed in the article. And as you see right there, it tells you, this is from Gallup polls, by the way. You probably heard of Gallup polls and how they take surveys. And they've been doing this thing since 1940, a little bit before then. And what you see right there is a church membership as at an all-time low where it says that 47% of people that were surveyed said that they belong to a church and they feel like that church membership 
is something that's an important part of their life. And I'll be honest, I think this number is going to go even lower after COVID. I think this was a, a, a pre-COVID survey, so I think this number is going to drop even before as people have gotten out of the routine. And let me read you a quote that was from that article. It said, membership in houses of worship continued to decline last year, dropping below 50% for the first time in Gallup's eight-decade trend. In 2020, 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque, down from 50% in 2018 and 10% in 1999. That doesn't sound very good, does it? That doesn't sound very good. 70%, yeah, I'm sorry, not 10%, sorry. Sorry, 70%, thank you. That doesn't sound very good. So I'm looking at this, and I'm asking myself, like, what happened? What happened to America the Great? Like, wasn't this country founded on, like, freedom of religion? Like, we want to have a place where no one will tell us how to worship, and no one will tell us how to have religion, and we can do whatever we want? Like, isn't that how we were founded? What happened to one nation under God? How did we go from that to 47% of people saying, only 40% of people saying that they belong to a church. Here's an important question. Okay, think with me right here. Do you think that only 47% of people believe in God? Do you think only 47% of people believe in Jesus? Do you think only 47% of people believe in heaven and hell and the Bible? Do you think only 47% of people believe? I don't think so. And any survey on any of those topics will get you between 70 and 80%. So the problem that you see here is not with God, but with the church. Is that people are not, for the most part, okay, for the most part, people are not running from God. People are running from the church. And as someone, okay, understand my perspective, who has consecrated their life for the church and gives myself daily and weekly and yearly and my whole life, my whole existence is the church. To see these numbers, that's kind of troubling. And that's where this series is born. And listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I am not. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I am not worried about the future of the church. I am not. Because Jesus promised that the church is here and it's going to be around and nothing can take the church down. I am not worried about the church. I'm worried about the people who are walking away from the church. And what I believe, as I want to get into here today, is I believe people are doing so for the wrong reasons. Yes, and I said that. There are right reasons and there are wrong reasons. And I got no problem if somebody... I met a lot of people who walked away from church, a lot of people who walked away from God. I got no problem if someone does it for the right reasons. You say, what's the right reason to walk away from church and from God? Well, I'll tell you. I think, let's start with God. I think if someone told me, I'm walking away from God because atheism makes me happy, I would shake their hand and say... More power to you. I don't agree with your decision, but I respect it. I would respect that decision. But I'll be honest, I met a lot of people who walked away from God, never one of them, listen carefully, never one of them because atheism was attractive, but rather because the church was unattractive. Nobody says, hmm, a life where everything is meaningless. That's what I want to go for. I like that idea. I like the idea where things are just random, and I like the idea that science says that everything has to have a beginning, but I'm going to believe that, 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 that some things just created themselves. Okay, and I'm going to go against logic, and I'm going to go against rationale, and I'm going to go against what makes me feel good, and what, I'm going to go against all those things, and I'm going to believe in something that is truly unbelievable, which is that there's no God. 
I never met one person who had that reason. What I meet is people who say, I'm a good person. I believe in God. I believe in eternity. But why do I need the church? You've heard that, right? I won't ask if you've thought that. Why do I need the church? I'm a good person. I'm nice to people. I'm kind. I believe, but I just... Why do I need the church? And then they'll go the next step and say, that religion, you've heard this before. In a lot of ways, people, a lot of people think that religion, hey, it's the cause of all the problems in the world anyway, isn't it? And I can see by the smirk that you've heard that before, you may have thought it before. I'm going to go back to this poll. I want you to, to let, let's digest this, because again, this thing troubled me. So I had to kind of look at this one again, do a double take. What you can see in this poll is that Gallup started doing this from the late 1930s. So let's start in 1940. So for the first 64 years, for the first 64 years, from the late 1930s until about the year 2000, the number was pretty steady, okay? Between 73 and 68 was the low point, but it kind of went up and down and up and down, but it was all within that five-point range. And then where was the dip? Where do you see the dip? What year? 2000. And really, it's just after 2000. So automatically, you see a dip just after 2000, and automatically you're thinking, what major event took place just after 2000? 9-11. So you're thinking to yourself, this might be related somehow to 9-11. Like, these will be the two defining points, at least of my life. I don't know how young or old you are, but of my life, the two defining moments will be 9-11 and COVID. Okay, those will be the two moments that the entire world... Okay, took notice. These are the two, these are the ones, that's why we're doing this series right now, because these are the two forks. Okay, 9-11 was a point in time, and what we see is the dip came after that, but you would say to yourself, and again, for those who are old enough, I realize half this room right here was probably in diapers during 9-11, okay, but for those who are old enough to remember, wait a minute, didn't 9-11 bring people to church? Did 9-11 bring people to church or take them from? Well, again, I was... I was uh, 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 just before my priesthood at the time, so I remember very vividly, okay, we were just, okay, I was very involved in the church at the time, and I remember 9-11 happened on a Tuesday. The Sunday after 9-11, what were the churches like? Never been more crowded ever. Easter plus Christmas plus Mother's Day on top of each other was that day. Nobody in America didn't go to their church or their synagogue or, like, everyone went to some place because that's when... When the, 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 when the thing hits, you run and look for something else. So churches were packed for the first week after 9-11. And the second week, maybe the third a little bit less. And then the fourth a little bit less. And then all of a sudden we started to see a dip. You know why? Because something happened. There was an introduction of a new concept that took place after 9-11 that probably was introduced before but didn't have much traction, but 9-11 gave it what it was looking for. And that was the concept of this. I'm spiritual but not religious. You've heard this before. You've said this before. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Again, think back. In the year 2001, just after 9-11, there was a lot of bad, bad publicity for religion. And when I say that, I don't mean just Islam. I'm talking about all religion in general. And this movement started to gain traction, which is, you know what? The world would be better if there was no religion. The world would be better. And let's be honest. Like, let's can be honest right now. In this series, we're going to be honest. You can kind of, like, make a case for that. Like, you can kind of look around at the world today and say, maybe the world would be better without religion. Look at all the problems in the Middle East. Source of it comes down to religion. 
Look at all the atrocities that have been committed by the church throughout history. Or not just by the church, but by terrorist groups in the name of religion. Or people, you know, uh, the, the holy wars, all in the name of religion. Look at politics. And look about how each side on politics uses religion as a tool. And somehow they are so sure exactly how Jesus would vote on their side. Every side is exactly sure of that. And people using religious as something to beat people over the head. Look at the abuse. Look at the scandals. Look at, I don't know if you see this the way I see it. Look at when all of a sudden you hear about a priest or a pastor or whatever it is, quote, resigning suddenly. You know what resigning means when you're in the ministry. You know when someone resigns suddenly or gets an illness and needs to go away for several years. You know what that means. You look at all that and you say, you know what? Telling someone that religion is bad, it's not a hard sell. Let's be honest. It's not a hard sell. And apparently it's working. Nowadays, there's a group called the nuns. You've heard of the nuns? N-O-N-E. Not like the Catholic school nuns, like the nuns. Like none, none of the above. And nuns is basically people who say, I'm not any of these religions. I don't identify with any category. I'm none. In the year 2000, the number of people in America who said they were nuns was 8%. Now that number is 25%. And if you're a millennial, which again, many people here, amongst millennials, that number is 35%. And what a nun basically says is, look, I ain't against you and your religion, but I ain't with you. Is that I got no problem with anybody's religion, okay? This is the, can't we all just get along? Okay, and this is the, like, we're nice to all and we respect all, but we don't associate with any. We're, like, not against you, but we ain't with you either. And if we are honest, a lot of us, like this sounds like a good thing. Like this, this sounds like peace and love and can't we all just get along and it's a good thing. But there's a problem with it. The problem comes from Jesus. He always was a problem maker, wasn't he? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, also, I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Look here, regardless of what you and I believe about the church, what we see in the church, Jesus believed very much in the church. He believed very much in it. And he said, the church is here to stay and the church ain't going nowhere. And the church is something that's important. And the reason why it's important, St. Paul tells us in this next verse, Ephesians chapter one, verse 22. He says that he put all things under his feet. This is Christ, put all things under his feet. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is, say it with me, which is his body. Again, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Being spiritual is great. But according to what Jesus said, and according to what St. Paul reiterated, the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's the church that is the body of Christ. And you can make the case that everything that Jesus came for is encapsulated in the church. Because in the church that we have communion with Christ. That's why he came. That man and God could be one. It's in the church that we participate in his life through the sacraments and through the community of believers. It's through the church that we live out our purpose and our calling. It's through the church that we understand what does it mean to be connected to one another as a body. It's through the church that Jesus fulfills his mission in the world. And you can tell how valuable something is to someone by the price they paid for it. So if you were to ask Jesus, how much did the church cost you? You know what his answer would be? St. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. 
Just take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, to the shepherd, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So now we got a problem. We got a problem. We got a problem because people are leaving the church and discrediting the church that Jesus says, I paid my blood for. I cannot, in good conscience, and neither can you, throw away something which Jesus said, it cost me my blood. And it cost me my very life. How can I devalue something that Jesus placed so much value on? How do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile the fact that Jesus' view of the church and the fact that we look at the church and we look at religion, okay, we'll kind of group it in a big way, and we look at religion and say it's the cause of all the problems and there's so many bad Christians and there's so many hypocrites. How do we reconcile these two? How do we convince people, in other words, to see the church as Jesus sees it? Especially, why this is especially relevant now in, what are we, in June 2021, in case someone's watching this 10 or 20 years later, why this is so relevant now, because in case you missed it, for the past 12 months, I was going to say, but now we'll say 14 months, for the past 14 months, you know what we've been telling people? Stay home. Don't come to church. Stay away. Come once a month at most. No, no, no. You're good without the church. Go ahead and stay. Because when people wanted to come, we were like, no, nobody comes. Stay away. And stay as far away as possible. And now all of a sudden, people listened. And a survey of committed churchgoers, I didn't put this one up on the screen, but church, committed churchgoers. So the first poll was across everybody. But a survey done in the past few months of committed churchgoers said that only 52% plan to return to in-person services after the pandemic is done. 52% of people who pre-pandemic were committed churchgoers said they plan to return to in-person services weekly after the pandemic is done. And again, as someone who has given my life for the church and wants nothing more than to see the church elevated high, this is disturbing. So, because of that, that's where this series is born. The series is called I Want to Know. The reason why I believe, this is my theory, my hypothesis, the reason why I think so many people, it is so easy for them to walk away from the church, which like I said, Jesus thought very highly of, I think the reason is this. My theory is that people are walking away because they're getting bad answers to good questions. I think people are walking away because they're getting bad answers to good questions. I think people, let me tell you a common story that I hear. I hear a story about someone says, grew up Christian, grew up going to church, parents forced me to go, attended Sunday school, did all the church stuff, did the prayers, the Bible study, the Sunday school, like I know all the stories. I went to church and then I went to high school or college. Okay, it used to be, when I was a kid, it used to be this happened in college, now it's happening in high school. I went to high school, I went to college and I started asking questions. And they're valid questions. And I got very bad answers. And because of those bad answers, I came to the conclusion that even the people who are in the church, they don't know what they're talking about. And they're making this stuff up. Questions like, I'll give you an example. Asking questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? We've all asked that. And I know a lot of people who have not gotten good answers. And because of that, very easy to walk away from a God and from a church that you think doesn't even know the answer to simple questions like that. Questions like, you say that God answers prayers. Well, I pray and I get an answer to my prayer. So why did this prayer go unanswered? 
Questions like, why did my pastor or my priest lie? And on top of that, why did the church cover it up? That's a valid question. And that deserves an answer. Questions like, as I said earlier, how are you so sure that Jesus would vote exactly as you voted? How are you so sure about that? All valid questions. And I believe the people, because they're not getting good answers, becomes a lot easier to walk away. Said another way, I think people are living in reality and living tough lives and asking reality-based questions about suffering and hardship and death and loss and pain, asking reality-based questions and oftentimes getting, sorry to say this, fairy tale based answers. And the fairy tale based answer is just trust and you'll live happily ever after in the end. People asking real questions about real life and getting answers of, no, 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 you don't need to worry about that. Just trust and everything will be okay in the end. And what happens is instead of answering people's questions, we tell people to stop asking. And you know what happens if you tell people to stop asking questions? They do. They leave. And I think that's where we find ourselves today. So, with that, this is where this series begins. In this series, I only got four weeks, and I told you I only got 40 minutes per week, so I'm very limited in my time right here. But my goal in these four weeks is to answer four of these questions. I think there's a lot more than four, but I think these are the four that I think are very common and that I think cause a lot of people problems. But if you're willing to listen to me even longer, come on over to my house afterwards. I'll be happy to answer all your questions because I got lots of stuff stored up in here. But the four questions I want to answer is I want to answer the question, this will be next week, how do I know Christianity is the right religion? How do I know? Are we just guessing? How do I know? How do I know he's wrong and I'm right? Like, how do we know all of us have asked that question, even me as a priest? Questions like, how can I believe in a religion that contradicts science? How can I accept something that is against science? I'm going to answer that question for you. Questions like, what difference does it make if I believe or not? You keep telling me, believe, believe, believe. What? What difference does it make if I believe? Like, what's it to you if I believe or don't believe? We're going to answer that question. And today's question we're going to answer is, why should I go to church if there's so many bad Christians? I'm not going to do a survey of hands, but you know every one of the people here will raise your hand if you've either said that or heard that. Why should I go to church if there's so many hypocrites and so many bad people? Why should I go to church if there's all these people who are not living what they're saying? Well, I want to answer this question, but before I do, I want to ask you a question. And the question doesn't seem to be related to the first one, but stick with me. By the end, I'll show you how it is. And here's the question that I'm going to make you think. The question is this. What if the God you're walking away from never existed to begin with? I know, that's a strange question for a priest to ask. What if the God that you are walking away from and so willing to leave behind, what if that God never actually existed in the first place? Meaning, what if it your opinion of God or your view of God isn't correct. What if you've been taught something wrong? What if you've been believing something all these years that isn't the actual case? And then in your mind, this God and this church, and I'm done with it. And that never existed to begin with. In other words, what I want to say is, if you're going to walk away, I'm cool with that. But just make sure you're walking away from the right thing. Because I think a lot of people today are walking away based on misconceptions. And this is what I see. As people come and tell me, I can't be part of a church and I can't be one with a God who does this and who says this and the, and the church says this. And I'm like, you know, my answer to that is, 
I'm like, oh yeah, I absolutely agree. I would never be part of a church like that. But that's not the church. I could never pray to a God who, uh, me too. Stay away from that one. But who told you that's God? Like, who told you? Like, are you sure? And I think there's a lot of people today who are walking away with the wrong idea. Walking away from a God who never existed. And I think it's bad to walk away from the real God, or from of that fake God. I think it's tragic when you're walking away based on lies, and based on misconceptions, and based on somebody told me, and then somebody told me, so then I had this expectation. And of course, because it's not a real, then that, that I got disappointed, and then I walked away. And the whole story is based on a misunderstanding of who God truly is in his essence. So what I want to do here, very briefly, because my time is running, I'm watching this clock, okay? I want to do very briefly. Okay, we did an entire series probably four or five years ago about this idea of gods that don't exist. Okay, and I was a whole series. Each week was one of them. I don't have time to do that in this series, but I want to recap that real quick. And I want to talk about five gods that you may have grown up believing in. And if we're honest, some of us still kind of believe in these gods right now. And if this is your view of God, I am telling you, at one point in time, you are going to walk away because this God doesn't exist and this God promises a lot and offers nothing because he's not real. I'm going to go five gods. I'm going to go real quick through them. The first God is what I'm calling bodyguard God. You know, bodyguard God. Let's be honest. A lot of us, this is us. This is based on the principle that God protects the good and punishes the bad. That's the way it should be. Justice for all. This is the way it should be. If this is your view of God, you think that God's number one job, his number one purpose of his existence is to keep you safe and to keep bad stuff from happening to you and to the people that you love. Now, the people that you don't care about, then you expect the opposite for them. So if this is your God, if something bad happens, it means that person deserved it. That person deserved something bad. So I'll give you an example. Let's go history again because I, I, I like looking back. I think we learn a lot by looking back. In 2005, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, if bodyguard God, bodyguard God is your God, what did all the people who this is their God, what do they all say? When Hurricane Katrina destroyed New Orleans, what did they say? You can say it. They deserve it. It's a sinful city. And God cast them down and smites them. And I want to tell people, the problem is, what happens if they rebuild the city? What are you saying? That the people are stronger than the city? But that was a very easy explanation. That's why God did it. Let's go back more. Let's get a little touchy right here. How about when AIDS came in in the 1980s? What did people say? It's God's way of punishing the homosexual community. That's easy. No problem. Bodyguard God takes action. So if you're bad, he smites you. You're good. He protects you. Make it more practical. That girl or that guy is still single. Oh, it must be because they're, you know, they're bad. Because God doesn't love them. Or because they got a problem. Or because they didn't pray. Or because they don't believe. If this is your God, if good happens, if you're a good person, good should happen. If you're a bad person, bad should happen. Well, the problem with this, as logical as this seems, like this seems logical, the problem is, it's not true. And I want to say when people say this, who told you that? Who told you that God only does good to good people. Who told you that? Who told you that if you're good, nothing bad will happen? Because I don't think I gave that sermon. I don't think it's in the Bible anywhere. Because actually, you know, if you look in the Bible, all the people who wrote the Bible and taught us about Christianity, most of them were killed 
including the leader, Jesus Christ himself, died the worst possible death possible. So don't tell me that Christianity has ever taught or believed that only good stuff will happen if you're good. Because that's the opposite. Because if that was the case, Christianity wouldn't have survived the first decade. Because every single one of the people who preached it and knew it, all of them, didn't make it out. What about, what about the verses that talk about how God gives us power to trample on serpents and scorpions and every power of the enemy? What about the verse, you know, there's a verse, okay? I told you this before, you know, I, I can find you a verse for anything in life. You, can you tell me what you want to do and I'll find you 10 verses for it, okay? It's very easy and it's actually a fun challenge for me. Tell me what you want to do. What about the verse that says that he will protect you lest you dash your foot against a stone? You know that verse, right? What about the verse that says, lest you dash your foot against a stone, that nothing will happen to you? Who in, the, who in the New Testament quotes that verse? Satan. Very good. You can find a verse for anything that you want. You can find a verse for anything that you want. But if you look at it, Jesus said the opposite. Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation. He never said it. He never sugarcoated it. The New Testament says that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So verse after verse after verse of reality tells us Jesus never promised to remove all bad from us. What he promised is to stand with us in the midst of the bad. But that's a different subject. Bodyguard God. No, not real. Number two. On-demand God. On-demand God is the best of all the gods. Because on-demand God, this is the one that we all want. And this is the one we all want to live with. This is the God who is... Logical and fair. And I'm not saying that God has to raise the dead, but all I'm saying is if the request is simple enough and it makes sense to do it, and I'm not causing harm to anybody else, just do it. So, for example, God, I'm not asking you again, I'm not asking you to solve the peace in the Middle East. All I'm asking is simple is give me a date. Like, that's easy. Like, I'm not asking to be, you know, uh, the, the richest man on the planet, but I'm just asking for my boss to get fired. Like, that's just very simple. Like, it's not big things. I'm not asking for huge things. What I'm asking, if I'm on demand, God, you know what we're thinking to ourselves? If I were God, I would do it. Like, if somebody asked me, if it was in my power to solve your issue at work, and you asked me, I would do it. So, God, why don't you do it? And because sometimes this is what we believe, that this is our God. This, this, this is an easy God to walk away from. Because what I want to say is, I mean, who told you? Who told you that God is your servant? Who told you that God is your concierge? Who told you that God is your Siri? Okay, please, God, you know, heal my sick. Like, who, who told you that? Who told you that God is under obligation to do what you want? Because again, I don't remember giving that sermon. Unless I was absent that Sunday and a visiting priest came and just destroyed everything. I don't remember that. But somehow, this is what a lot of us think. And I'm telling you, of all the gods that I am thankful does not exist, it's this one. You know why? Two reasons why I am thankful, and you should be thankful too. Two reasons why I am thankful that God does not answer all of our prayers. You know why? Because number one, I was a 15-year-old kid at one point in time, and I, know, I remember what I prayed. And I am thankful that God did not answer those prayers. And the, other sec the second reason I'm thankful is because I am, I think I'm a nice person, but I, I haven't always been the nicest person, and I'm sure other people have said prayers against me, and I'm thankful God did not answer those prayers. Because <laughs> God is not on-demand God. Number three, boyfriend God. You know boyfriend God, right? Everybody loves their boyfriend God. 
He makes me feel so warm and fuzzy and cuddly on the inside. And it's boyfriend God is all about feeling the presence of God. And, you know, I was at that retreat and I just felt the presence of God. And, and don't you feel the presence? And you're sitting there like, I don't feel anything. What? So if your view of God is this boyfriend God and everyone is feeling something and all you're feeling is chilly or cold or hot or whatever it is, then you're thinking to yourself, I don't want a God who I... I you're setting a false expectation, so you're thinking to yourself, must not be for me. We mistakenly, boyfriend God, we mistake that because we don't feel his presence, that he is not present. Did you get that one? Because we don't feel his presence, that he is not present. And again, I'm going to tell you, who told you that? Who taught you that? Who messed you up that way? Did you know? Like, just look at it right now. Are there things that are present and real, but you don't feel them? Anybody feel, feel the lungs working right now? Anybody feel their heart pumping? If you do, please seek help, okay? You need to get going right now. Anyone feel their pancreas? Like, oh yeah, my pancreas is really chugging right now. I can feel it. Oh yeah, it's, you know, squeezing the juice right out or whatever the pancreas does. You don't feel it, but it doesn't mean it's not present. And oftentimes, the things that are actually, actually the most constant, you feel the least. You don't feel it when the room temperature is perfect. You feel it when it's too hot, when it's too cold. Same thing when it comes to God. So if you quit believing in that God, what I say to you is good. Do not believe in that God, because that's not a real God, who always you have to feel his presence. Number four, guilt God. If you grew up in the church, you know guilt God. Guilt God, let me be serious now. Guilt God, for some of us, is the one that we know doesn't exist. Intellectually, we're there. But this is the hardest one to shake. Because this one was driven in into us, maybe, like I said, it was, a, it was somebody as a, a teacher or a parent or whatever it was that was trying to, to, to get us to control us through guilt or through fear, whatever it was, this is the hardest one to shake. This is the God, if you're wondering whether or not to do something, you ask yourself, is this thing enjoyable to do? If you believe in guilt, God, the answer is you should not do it. If it's enjoyable, don't do it. If it is anything sexual, double don't do it. If it is anything which you're not sure about, absolutely don't do it. Because the right answer is, it's probably against what God wants you to do. And again, if this is you, my question is, who told you? Who told you? Number five, anti-science God. You know anti-science God, right? I'm not going to go too much into this one because actually we're going to do one entire week on anti-science God and, and where God stands on science. We've talked about that many times, but I think it's an important topic. Nowhere, let me just say the, the summary, nowhere, anywhere in Christianity does it say you have to ignore science to believe in Christ. Nowhere, 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 nowhere. And in fact, watch this one. I believe that the Christians who say you have to deny science to believe in God, I think they're hypocrites and I can prove it to you. For those who want to discredit science and say just believe, just believe, just believe, just believe. If your child is sick, who do you call? A priest? Or a doctor? I hope you don't call a priest. Because you know what the priest's going to tell you. 
Call the doctor. Because look, if your kid is sick, and this is what you would do, everyone would do this, I don't want faith. I want science. I want medicine. I want someone to tell me what's wrong with my kid, give me a solution, and send me on my merry way. Imagine that you call a doctor and say, my kid is sick, and the doctor says to you, you know, after praying about it, I think God is trying to teach you a lesson through this. That is what God is telling me in my spirit. What would you say? You'd say, no, thank you, sir. I don't want faith. I want science. And if you're not going to give me science, I'm going to go to someone else who will. Don't tell me faith. Don't tell me believe. Don't tell me Christianity. Right now, I want science. I read it said one time. I read it this way. It says it very nicely. The moment that your theology conflicts with science, you don't have a science problem, you have a theology problem. Let me say that one again because that one's good stuff. The moment that your theology conflicts with science, you don't have a science problem, you have a theology problem. Because the truth of the matter is, and again, I'm just going to say this now, we'll come back to it in a couple weeks, Christians have always believed that God is the ultimate scientist. And that science is simply explaining to us in beautiful detail how God does what he does. Science cannot do anything. But science tells us how God does what he does. God is the only one who can do. God is the only one who can create. God is the only one who can heal. But science tells us how God does it. And it pulls back the curtain. And every scientific discovery for us Christians, we're not afraid of. It's pulling back the curtain and revealing more and more about how our great God, the orchestrator of the universe, runs the show. Science tells us how. Like I said, we're going to come back to this one because I know this is a big one, but I'm telling you, if this is the reason you left God, I'm sorry that you left God, and I'm sorry that you left the church, but you know what? That's not the real God. That's not the real God. And that gets us now to, to understanding our question of why is it that we should go to church if there's so many bad Christians? The answer is you need to ask yourself the question, who and what is it I'm trying to leave? Because if you don't know who the true God is and who the true church is, it will be easy to throw it away. And it will be easy to say, yeah, I'll just stay home this week. Yeah, I'll just stream this week. Yeah, I'll just catch oh, once a month is good enough for me. It will be easy to do that if you don't know the truth about who and what it is that you are leaving behind. The fact that so many are willing to leave the church so easily shows that we're missing the point. If you go to a football game or to a concert or to whatever, and you say, why is it that you go there? Because there's so many rude fans who are sitting on the other side of the stadium. The person would answer very quickly and say, I'm not here for them. I'm here because I know what I'm here for. I'm here for the show. I'm here for the game. Like I know what it is that I'm here for, but my fear when it comes to church, we don't know what it is that we're here for. And we lose the essence. And what I'm saying is, stick with me over the rest of the coming weeks, okay? Because this is a long part of a long conversation, is that when we discover the truth about who God is, and who the church is, and what it does in my life, and, and where my life would be with or without it, it, becomes a lot harder to leave behind. I remember hearing it said one time by someone who's a member of this church, when you know, they got offended by some things in the church and some things happened, okay, like somewhere else, not here, and they said, you know what the church is to me? The church is my mother. And no matter what my mama says, what my mama does. No matter how ugly my mom is at times, she's my mama. And that's the person who understands the church. 
That's the person who knows that we don't walk away from that which Jesus shed his blood for so easily. There's a lady named Karen Armstrong who wrote a book. And the book, in it, she is a double nun. Okay, because she is a N-O-N-E nun who used to be a N-U-N nun. Okay, she used to be a Catholic nun, but then ended up becoming a N-O-N-E, like, I don't believe in anything nun. And this is what she writes in her book, which is called The Case for God. So many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time as we were told about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that he existed. What she says is, I was presented a picture of God when I was young, and eventually I lived life and I realized that that God isn't that valuable and isn't worth sticking around for. Okay, and she tells her story in the book, okay, but I won't get into that. And I think a lot of us, this is my fear. This is my fear, and that's why I say this is an important series, not just for us. This is an important series for everyone out there who we're close with, and if we're parents, like, this is very important for that next generation. We need them to know what it is that we have right here so they're not so easy to walk away from it. Because what this lady says is, I was presented a picture of God when I was young, same time I was presented a picture of Santa Claus. And you know what? I eventually grew up and grew older, and the Santa Claus thing, that kind of went away. So you know what? The God thing, the Easter Bunny thing, the Tooth Fairy thing, just kind of lumps it all together. And that's a scary thought, but this is how people think today. And I would say, if you're trying to understand how this works, let me ask you a different question that explains what she's saying in a slightly different way. If I were to ask you to explain where do babies come from, how would you answer that question? Where do babies come from? Don't need a chart. Don't need a diagram. I need an answer. Where do babies come from? Well, what I hope you would say is you would say, well, who's asking the question? Because if I got a six-year-old who says, where do babies come from? The answer is mommy's tummy. That's all they need to know. And that's not a lie. That, that, that's, that's what they can understand. If I got a 16-year-old First thing I'd say, I have a kid who's six now, I'd say, you better not find out anytime soon, okay? Don't need to be knowing that stuff, okay? But you wouldn't say to a 16-year-old, mommy's tummy. Okay, you'd show them whatever they taught us in, the, in the, the PE and the family life and the health, like you'd say all that stuff. What about a 26-year-old medical student? You would, okay, understand a lot more than anybody cares to understand, okay? But for you, okay, it's important. So my point is this. Where do babies come from? The answer evolves with time. Not because we lied to the six-year-old. Like, we didn't lie when we said it's mommy's tummy. We're not lying. We're giving them what they can handle. How about your faith? I think a lot of us are asking real-world questions, medical school questions. That's what we're hearing in society today. And our response is six-year-old mommy's tummy answers. And if that's the case... You can go to medical school and say, mommy's tummy? People are going to leave your medical school. They're going to go to a place where they get answers. And that's my fear with the church. So one of the things she says in her book is, talks about her childhood view of God. 
her childhood view of God. And I would say it this way. Your childhood view of God. Did your childhood view of God grow up? Or did you simply outgrow it? And if it doesn't grow up, you're at risk of leaving it behind. St. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. That's what children do. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. In this series, we're going to answer some tough questions. And some questions that will make you think. And like I said, I realize right off the bat, some people are going to disagree with me. Some people, are going to, and some people who are church people can disagree with me. Some people who are non-church people can disagree with me. I'm okay with that. All I ask you is just stick with me till the end. And then hate my guts afterwards, but at least listen to what I have to say. And then discredit me. Because what I want to do, I think, the problem is, as I said in the beginning, is a lot of times people are willing to walk away because we're getting bad answers to good questions. I want to ask good questions, and I want to do my best to give good answers. Like I said, we won't get through everything, but we'll do the best that we can. Because the truth of the matter is, is Jesus came. Jesus came to this earth to reveal truth and the truth about who God is. And it is our duty as his children and as his ambassadors in this world to understand the truth, to grow in our depth and understanding of who he is and be able to communicate that as well. Last verse I'll leave you with. This is my prayer for this series, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, that we, that we should be no, the no longer be called children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. My prayer is that we would grow up and our faith would grow up in this series and we would see the truth. I'm happy that you're here. I hope you'll be here next week and consider bringing a friend as well. Let's stand for prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you because we know, Lord, that you came here today and you're speaking to us because you want to reveal the truth about who you are. Pray you would help us to understand you more and more throughout this series and throughout our lives, that we would grow up in our faith and mature in our understanding of who you are. We ask this in the name of your Son, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.